Coming up on today's show, we debut a new segment called Explain Yourself. Des Bryant, the X-Man, joins the show because Wednesdays are for the players. Oprah sightings, scopophobia, and the truth about being an NCAA athlete. All of this and much, much more coming up on the Tomahawk Show. Welcome back to the Tomahawk Show. Tomahawk, hope you're feeling well. Uh, it's your boy, the fastest man in all of podcasting, Andrew Hawkins, joined by someone with over 10,000 career snaps, 10 career Pro Bowls, four career children, Joe Thomas. Joe, what's going on, man? What's life like right now? Uh, it's 50-50 right now. Okay. 50% of life is great. 50% is absolute crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 50% that's great, I went out to the farm today, picked some pumpkins for my pumpkin patch for the kids. I planted all these little pumpkins that are like these tiny little personal-sized pumpkins for the kids to be able to paint. Mm-hmm. Halloween is coming up. They're going to be so excited. So that was a highlight. A low light is, for some reason, all of a sudden, telemarketers are allowed to hit up your cell phone again. Yeah. And it drives me absolutely bananas that I get all these random calls from Russia and all over the place, computers and real people. And I'm just so tired of being bothered on my cell phone by all these random telemarketers. And yeah. I didn't think they could do that to your cell phone. I, I realized that they they could call your home phone and it was cool. But since when can they hit up your cell phone and just obnoxiously leave all sorts of messages and just continually call you from different computer numbers? Hawk, maybe you can fill me in. You're a lot smarter yeah, than I am. No, I, I usually talk to them when they call. I'm alone. You do? Guy. Yeah, I just, I like to meet really? new people. I'm like, hey. You are lonely. I call them back. I'm like, hey, I missed your call. What? What, what were you trying <laughs> to say? Well, let me hear do, more do about you, that product. That sounds fascinating. Do you say, sorry, I missed your call. I was busy podcasting yeah. with uh, my co-host that I'm trying to get rid of. His name's Joe. Exactly. But I'm sure you're a lot nicer. Exactly. So I try to make friends of it. So you said you're 50-50. 50% living life is kind of like a three-point percentage. So if you're at 50-50, that's like really good. You're probably one of the best oh. lives in the world. If 50% mm. is great and 50% sucks, could you imagine someone shooting 50% from three-point? Like that's a that's a winning percentage. Like you, you're, uh, you're, you're MVP status, Joe. So congratulations on that. Clearly you are a pessimist in life. If you think half of your life is good, now that's, that's a good shooting percentage. For me, <laughs> I'm more of a layup life guy. Yeah. Life is like a layup. If I'm not making 90% of those layups, it's a bad day. Oh, so geez, I guess man. that's just the difference between me and you. I'm an optimist. You're a pessimist. Right. You're an inside guy. I'm an outside guy. All right. Listen, everybody listening, make sure you hit us up. Interact with the show at Tomahawk Show across all platforms. Join our Facebook group, Tomahawk. That's important because we want to make sure we get your information to sell. Just kidding. Mm. We want to interact, man. We want to <laughs> we want to talk. We want to hear comments. We think everything you guys send us is funny. Me and Joe sit here on multiple nights and just go through all the voicemails and all the interaction and we pick who we think is the funniest and we actually are breeding um future future personalities for the show that's how we found nfd and fat nat now i am a huge browns fan you are a huge browns fan we love our brownies but there is a silver lining when the brownies lose uh-huh. because the tomahawk voicemail line 440-628-1376 <laughs> absolutely explodes with the fiery take hot uh, voicemails that it I does. absolutely love. And it's so much fun listening to those bitter, bitter voicemails so, after a Browns loss. That's the one silver lining when the Browns lose is that Tomahawk voicemail line is full of hot takes and I love it. And it's been the only constant since we started this podcast three seasons ago <laughs> is bitter voicemails about losses all right listen on today's show we have another edition of our wednesday player pod because wednesdays are for the players right as we say here on the tomahawk show we got des bryant the x-man former dallas cowboy great joining us here on the show um but first we're going to start with the brand new segment that i can't wait to debut called explain yourself please rise part is now in session explain myself explain yourself this segment is where Joe and I elaborate on the ridiculous things we say on social media. And we tell you what we were thinking when we actually decided to hit send on the Twitter machine. So, 
We're going to pass it to John Fontanelli, who is the host of this game show. Hey. And he is going to tee, us up, tee our, tee, our tweets up. There you go, John. <laughs> Take it away. So Sunday night, Joe tweeted, interference challenge is the worst change to football rules since sliced bread. Wait, that doesn't work. Either way, <laughs> this ability to challenge interference needs to go. Destroys the fan experience and kills the flow of the game. Joe Thomas, explain yourself. First of all, John, we need much more enthusiasm when you're reading my tweets. You can read Hawk's tweets <laughs> no. with the boring, mundane cadence that you just read that tweet with. <laughs> but when you're reading my tweets, give them the proper level of reverence and respect. <laughs> so that tweet, first of all, I think it's easy for fans to agree because there's nothing that kills the flow and the enjoyment for the fan more than a big defensive or offensive play that we have to wait and we have to find out, okay, the coaches are looking at it. Now they're throwing a flag. Now they got to talk with the ref. Now the ref goes over and looks at it. And the way the interference rule is written right now, they're only overturning it if it's egregious. But we don't even know what that means. And so they're really not overturning all that many of them. So the it begs the question is why are we even challenging it in the first place? Because it's a judgment call, which I think judgment calls we should allow – for human error in the sport. That's what makes the sport great. It's played by humans. It's officiated by humans. There's some judgment involved. You're always going to have an issue like we saw with the Saints and the Rams last year in the NFC Championship game. Those are things that happen when it's a human game officiated by humans. But we need to be able to accept that level of missing from officials to not have to deal with the constant stop and start of the ridiculous interference challenge rule. Because the, I don't know if you were watching that Thursday night game, Jacksonville, Tennessee, the other night. No, um, oh no, sorry. It was the week before. It was, uh, it was the Carolina game on Thursday night football. And there was a deep play down the sideline and it was clearly interference, but the ball hadn't been released yet. So it would have been illegal contact instead of interference. So even though they reviewed it, and they realized that they missed the illegal contact because the ball had not yet released from Cam Newton's hands. It was not able to be overturned and made into a pass interference call. So you have this five to seven minute total waste of everybody's time that's watching this game in the middle of the game. And then they don't even get the call right in the, after all that wasted time. So I think that judgment calls should not be something that we can challenge. We should just live with the officials and move on and overturn this rule because I hate it and I hate how it breaks up the flow of a game that's already starting to be a little bit slow. The, the problem is not that it slows the game down, Joe. That's where you're wrong. The problem is it won't work if you don't actually say you're wrong. Like when I was in Canada, you, you can challenge pass interference in Canada and it works mm -hmm. because they're okay with saying yes. You used a challenge. You only have a limited number. That was clearly pass interference by the way it's defined in the rule book. Boom. Overturned. It doesn't matter if you can challenge pass interferences if you have to show the replay and the person had to uppercut them in the middle of the route for it to be overturned. Right? Like That's like someone saying, like, yeah, I have no problem apologizing. I'm that kind of person. But then that same person never thinks they're wrong. Then it doesn't matter. So that's the problem with the rule, not the fact that it slows the game down, is that no one, they're not really saying that they're wrong about things. All right, what do you got next, John? Hawk on Sunday afternoon, so now I gotta get my Hawk voice down. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Here we go. What you got. Lower. Would love, would love <laughs> to get a Dan Orlovsky breakdown on the new third down play that's sweeping the league, where the QB <laughs> drops back, backpedals seven more yards to avoid a sack, says a prayer, then heaves the ball into the air as high as he can and hopes for the best. Explain yourself, Hawk. Listen, I mean, I've watched almost every game, at least 85% of NFL games this year, and at least 85% of quarterbacks have done this so far this year. And it, it's had a, uh, a, a varying result depending on who the quarterback is. But they've all done it. The, the pressure's coming. They just start backpedaling and literally throw the ball up. Lamar has done it, and he's gotten really lucky. Um, Mahomes has done it. Baker did it at the end of the Rams game. Wasn't so lucky. I just don't get it. It's, it's not sound football. And I want Dan Orvlosky, who is on TV every day um, as the quarterback whisperer, to tell me, why does everyone do this? Because this is a dangerous play, and it is way more risk than reward, and it doesn't seem like it takes actual skill to do so. 
I'll tell you why everybody's doing it is because Patrick Mahomes did it and it worked. <laughs> and everybody wants to be Patrick Mahomes right now because the en vogue thing in the NFL is to say that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback that the NFL has ever seen. So naturally, everybody wants to be like Patrick Mahomes and your boy Lamar uh, Jackson last weekend did this twice where he just chucked it up in the air and he got super lucky and actually completed it. And then, of course, all the Lamar lovers out there, yourself included, Hawk, wanted to talk about how great of a game he played when if he didn't get those two uh, completions where he just basically threw a Hail Mary up there, he would have had really bad stats and they would have gotten blown out yeah. uh, on the score sheet way more than they already did. So uh, real quick, I want to get your take on Lamar Jackson and how he performed last weekend. Um, I, I think he did well. I mean, at the beginning, I think they were doing things that were outside of what you need to be asking Lamar to do, but then they got comfortable. They started running the football, and it opened everything up for them. All, all I'm saying, Joe, is this seems like a dumb play. I get it. Patrick Mahomes does it, <laughs> but I feel like offensive coordinator is like, yeah, let's put that in. Here we go. We're going to go trips <laughs> right, zebra right, all go special, quarterback, seven-step, backpedal, heave into the air, say a prayer on one. Ready? Break. It's like, okay. That was pretty good. Thank you. Did I, you practice that one? <laughs> in, my, in my own head. All right, what do we got next, John? Replying to a tweet from a fan who wanted to know if Browns GM John Dorsey should potentially trade for star cornerback Jalen Ramsey. Joe replied, he'd be silly to give up two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey, even with as good as he is. It just doesn't make your team, quote, two first-round picks better. There's not enough need for that. Plus, you're going to have to pay him. Explain yourself. A much better attempt at giving me the proper amount of excitement <laughs> in my tweet. Uh, I still think you did a much better job with Hawk's tweet, but maybe that was the content <laughs> of the tweet that gave you much more things to work with. Yeah. Uh, but th this trade for Jalen Ram Ramsey reminds me a lot of Browns fans begging to trade for Trent Williams. They now, they clearly Jalen Ramsey is one of the best, maybe the best, lockdown man-to-man -man corner in the NFL. Hawk, maybe you could give me a little bit better analysis on this because I'm mm -hmm. not a cor cornerback expert, but I would say at least in the top couple, yep. he is very, very good. So you put him on the Browns, he's going to make you better. There's no doubt about it. Just like Trent Williams is one of the best couple tackles in the NFL. So you put him on the Browns, he's going to make you better. But the only way you give up two first round picks is if you're putting this guy into a position of serious, serious need because you're looking at the gap. I'm, I always think of things from like an economic standpoint, like an, uh, an economics mind, which is exactly what I just said. But I couldn't think <laughs> yeah. of another way to say it yeah, no, that, that was, described it better. I so like the second you're looking way you at where you it are. It really helped paint the picture for me. Yeah, I'm just painting the picture. So you look at where you are. Let's say you feel that your cornerback is a 70 out of 100, and the guy you're going to replace him with is an 80 out of 100. You've increased. 10 points on the scale of the quality of your cornerbacks. And right now, the Browns have two really, really good young cornerbacks and Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward. I think those guys are both 90 or close to, if I'm considering overall uh, talent level. Mm -hmm. And they're going to continue to get better because they're both uh, young guys. Uh, Denzel's in his second year. Greedy's in his first year. And so I think you put Jalen Ramsey in there. If you had to move one of those guys out. Jalen, let's say, is a 98. So you've improved that cornerback position by, let's say, eight spots. But that's not enough to give up two first-round picks, which are so valuable in the NFL. And it's the same thing at the tackle position right now. Yes, we've had some struggles at the tackle position, but our guys are not that bad. These are the same two tackles in Cleveland that last year at the end of the season gave up like zero sacks the last five games when Baker was the quarterback. And everybody talked about how great the offensive line was. So it's not just solely a function of the offensive line or the tackles playing poorly. It's the whole offense in Cleveland is playing poorly right now. And so by putting Trent Williams in there, does he make that position better? Yes, but not enough to give up two first round picks. I, if I had to give a number and I had to put a number on what two first round picks, you would have to improve that position by let's say 30 points. So you'd have to have a 65 at a position and you were going to get a 95 in a trade. To me, that's something that makes some sense if you had a great position of need like that, but I just don't see that right now on the Browns roster. Yes, Jalen Ramsey is the best cornerback in football. And I love that he matches up with people and says, I'm going to lock you down the whole game. My biggest pet peeve is when corners run around saying they're the best <laughs> corners in the game and they're playing zone. Or they're playing one side of the field. If you're the top corner, you take away the top guy. Period. Is that a subtweet? Jalen does that. Shout out to Jalen Ramsey. So real quick, I, I got I to gotta Yeah, no, that. but labor. That's awesome. 
That, I'm going to belabor that point. That reminds me exactly of the cardinal sin on the offensive line. If you ever did this in an offensive line meeting uh-huh. during the week, you would be absolutely destroyed. You would be fined thousands of dollars. You would definitely have to cover that O-line dinner for that week. And it is this. It's let's say I'm I'm Joe Thomas. I'm playing left tackle this week, and we're going against the Rams. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not matching up against Aaron Donald at all. And I come out in the media that week, and I go, you know what, that Aaron Donald, I've watched him on film. He's not that good. <laughs> I really me. just don't see it. He just doesn't have it anymore. And those poor bastards inside, are he's getting all gassed up all week, and I don't have to block him <laughs> one time. So I'm basically just throwing my buddy under the bus. And so that's <laughs> that sounds exactly what uh, some of these corners do. They talk about how great they are. They get the receiver all gassed up. And then they don't even match up with them during the week. And then the guy goes for like 200 yards on 14 catches and humiliates those poor guys on the other side that have to actually guard them. All right, perfect. John, what do you got next? <laughs> on August 6th, Jimmy Spencer, shouts to Jimmy, tweeted at no Oprah. just to wa- Jimmy on this show. But go ahead. <laughs> Oprah just waved to me and Hawk and we melted. Hawk quote tweeted and said, I got the glow now, man. I felt the billion dollar energy transfer. That's that's That was actually really good energy for that. Yeah, I've, I've waved to Oprah twice in the last calendar year she's walked literally right by me and i've waved randomly like just oprah just walking by me and i feel like it's her way of letting me know i'm gonna be a billionaire go ahead joe did she wave back she did she waved first probably because i was just staring at her stop i don't believe you i swear i think it's her way of like i'm trying to figure out if you're uh a deranged serial killer or not i'm going to wave (laughs) and if you don't wave back i'm going to call security so I waved back both times, but yeah, she waved. She's waved. She's waved to me twice in the last three sixty-five. Do you think that is her secret code to her bodyguards to go kill that guy? <laughs> like, if she waves at you, you're dead. You are you like the Mossad will show up at your house and cut you into little pieces, and nobody will ever find you. Well, it'll happen twice then. If that is, the, G- give me the scenario. The Where scenario. the hell do you see Oprah? Like, she doesn't just walk around the no. streets of L.A. I'm assuming. I know. I was in Atl- or John Johnstown, PA. I was in Atlanta for an event. Um, and I was at, where were we at? The Four, the four Seasons Hotel? I didn't pay for it, obviously. I can't afford that. But uh, we were in the lobby. My wife was sitting there with me. And she was walking. And we were like in a group. Actually, Christian Kirksey was with me the first time. And she was walking by. And I was like, that looks like Oprah. <laughs> and then I looked again. And I'm like, hey, hey, guys, shut up. That, that's Oprah. And literally, my <laughs> wife, by the time she turned around, Oprah had walked out, already waved to all three of us that were facing her. So my wife seen her through a window. But yeah, that was the first time. And the next time was outside of uninterrupted offices. Me and Jimmy were drinking a coffee, and there was some kind of premiere, and she literally walked right by. You would think she had way more security, but she didn't. I would think that she would never stay at a regular hotel either. Wouldn't you yeah. think she would have some giant mansion rented to, yeah. to have privacy? Like, or the I Four Seasons. I can't imagine her checking in at the Four Seasons like next to me. I can't imagine she'd check in, though. I'd imagine that they... No, you're right. You know, she probably has like the whole top floor of the Four Seasons when she gets to <laughs> That's a good point. Atlanta. I got something, an uh, interesting question for you. And it reminded me of the Oprah thing. I was in Cleveland this weekend for the Sunday night football game. Uh-huh. And I was in the elevator and... I'm just standing there and common social norms of being in the elevator is you look at the door or you look at the numbers and you just kind of keep to yourself. The last thing on earth you do is stare right at the other people, especially if there's only one other person in the elevator. It's just awkward and it's uncomfortable. You're wondering if this person's about to jump me or something. And so I'm in Cleveland. I'm at the Kimpton Hotel on uh, East 9th Street. And I'm standing there and my wife and I and my daughter walk in and there's this guy and he just turns his full body. It wasn't even just like, turning your head he like turned his full body at two feet away from us and just stared right at us and it became really uncomfortable because Uh we were going up and we had to stop on a couple floors and right when we go to get off i'm thinking okay you know he recognizes me as a former browns player and you know he's here for the browns game whatever and all he says to us is man you guys are really tall and i don't (laughs) think that he had any clue that i played for the browns at any time but he just, just felt the need to like awkwardly stare a hole through us from two feet away for oh, a man. good 30 seconds. And then his coup d'etat moment was, you're really tall. And <laughs> I just had this really weird, uncomfortable feeling. And so has that ever happened to you, Hawk? Yeah, everyone tells me how tall I am all the time. <laughs> all right, besides the tall part. <laughs> the like other a, part, obviously. Leave me alone. I get it. I'm like a skyscraper, kid. <laughs> Beat it. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I bet that was killing your social anxiety, too. I know you were in that. I get that way. That elevator ride for you probably felt like 67 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. You you know what it is? And I, I love like 
talking to fans in like a controlled environment, but my, I have this fear that I'm going to be in a crowd and nobody's going to recognize me. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden one person is going to recognize me. And then as soon as that one person recognizes me, it's like a domino effect. And then pretty soon there's like 200 people like mobbing me, trying to like ask for things, trying to get pictures and autographs, even yeah. though this has never, ever happened, <laughs> but it's just like this fear that it becomes an uncontrollable situation. And I like you have to have- go somewhere. So I can't sit there and make everybody happy. And I walk out and then there's like 50 people who are pissed off at me because I couldn't take a picture with them or I didn't sign their autograph. And then I have somebody like the guy that keeps writing Hawk, uh, that stalks Hawk saying that <laughs> Hawk, didn't sign the autograph for his daughter at the mall. And now I've got like a lifelong hater. And so like in my head, I always have this like domino effect going on that I'm just so afraid of. And it's so irrational, but I don't know. I need to talk to my psychologist on how to get over this. Your biggest phobia is having to sign too many autographs. (laughs) Talk about your life being a 50%. Like I'm the complete opposite, by the way. If I'm on an elevator and someone's staring at me, I it is the last thing I think is this person recognizes me. I'm like, oh, this guy wants beef. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly. You want to go, bro? What are you looking at? Huh? And then he's like, yo, loved you on the Browns, man. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, great to meet <laughs> hey. you. Yeah, Tom Flock, Subscribe. Rate five stars. Uh, so, yeah, we, we live two completely different lives, Joe. All right, John, what do you got next? Last and final, explain yourself. Joe, in a tweet storm, to, to rival all tweet storms. Oh, this is going to go long. Following Tim Tebow's comments on SB206 and how college football players should play for free, uh, Tebow's words, <laughs> Joe said, the argument to pay college football athletes will never win with me. But why can't we allow them the fundamental human rights to own their own image and likeness? What are we so afraid of? Mm. Explain yourself. That's good. That's good energy. Joe, you that was even, much better energy. You can't even John. argue. I'm very that happy with your improvement. You've gone from like a C minus student to an A minus student <laughs> overnight. Quick. That was yep. just like Hawk. He was a C minus student exactly. at Toledo. Then he went to Columbia and he got <laughs> straight A's. Straight yep. damn A's, baby. <laughs> so the, the quick synopsis is this. In college, these college athletes play for what is essentially pay. So don't give me this college athletes aren't being paid because they are. They're just being paid with scholarship, which is room, board, tuition. And they give them like a little bit of living expenses now, I think. Mm. When we were there, we didn't get living expenses. No. But now they get a little bit more so they can buy, you know, Loves a meal yep. on the weekends or a loaf of McDonald's. bread or whatever. But the university uses their image and their likeness to sell season tickets, to sell sponsorships, to sell commercials and ads. And on top of that, they restrict the players from going out and using their notoriety as athletes to make money as an athlete. So if you wanted to go work at the 7-Eleven and you're Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, no problem. You can earn $6 an hour or whatever it is uh, at the 7-Eleven. I think that's what it was when I was in college. But if you mm-hmm. wanted to go to that 7-Eleven and shake hands with people that were pumping gas and make a thousand dollars, which I'm sure a BP or one of these gas stations would love to pay him a bunch of money to drum up publicity for the gas station and their brand and to have that brand association. He's not allowed to do that. And they've gone so far as to make it a moral and ethical argument of, wow, you're an amateur athlete. And for you to go out and want to make money on your hard-earned status as a college football player or a college athlete, that makes you immoral and unethical. You should definitely always work for free and make any money off of yourself and off of your back. It should go to the university to be spread amongst all the sports, all the students at the university. However, if you are not an athlete, so if you're, let's say, a classically trained pianist, if you are somebody who has other Mm -hmm. really good talents outside of maybe just the academic program that you're in, and you want to go make money, let's say, on the weekends playing for a concert symphony orchestra with your piano, and they're going to pay you $1,000, you can do that. No problem. The university has no problem with you making money off of that hard-earned part of your life, but because football and sports are different, supposedly, they do not allow you to own your own ability to make money on your own image, likeness, and what you've done on the athletic venue. Yeah, no. I think that's wrong. I I can't dive into what you're talking about because I get it, and I agree. Um, Tim Tebow, he was tripping. I feel like maybe in his situation, he didn't need to be paid, 
right? I know a lot of guys, you know a lot of guys playing college sports that were not in that situation. Here's the thing about college sports that you don't get, and I understand the majority of our listeners probably didn't play college sports, and they probably don't agree with college athletes should either be A, paid, or have the ability to profit off their own likeness. But here's what I would tell you that you may not understand about college sports. College athletics for me was the worst time of my life. I am not kidding. I am not exaggerating. I was not prepared for the amount of work that went into college athletics. Like, I'm telling you, I was ill-prepared. And this is someone who's played professional football. When I played in Canada, okay, the average salary in Canada, I think, is roughly $100,000, right? That's with the big na- the big number, guys. The league minimum is like 60000 or something like that. There was a rule in place that because you're only making $100,000 as a Canadian Football League player, you can only be at work for four and a half hours a day. So my day started at 8.30. I was at home by 1 o'clock because they were, in their mind, we're not paying you enough to be here that amount of time, okay? When in college... Here is the typical schedule of a college athlete in the fall. First off, you can't schedule classes, for me at least. You can't schedule classes between 1.30 and 6 p.m. because that's meetings and practice time that is completely devoted to football. So you can only schedule your full slate of classes because you can't be under a full-time student in the, the hours of the morning and the afternoon. There is also lifting, okay? So you wake up at the butt crack of dawn, you lift at some point. When you get done lifting, you then have three hours roughly to get classes in before you go right to meetings. Meetings to practice, that ends at six, and typically at night, you have another class. So you get done with your day, let's say roughly about nine o'clock, if you had the opportunity to eat, and that's not including the hour and a half, two hours of study table that they force you to have in your schedule because they understand we have to make this person do homework because otherwise they would probably just go to sleep because they're at this from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. at night. And you may think to yourself, okay, that's just during the season. The thing about college football is it doesn't stop. That was the exhausting part for me because after the season, you go right to winter conditioning, which is when you're up at 5.30 in the morning to condition in the mornings. You are still with the whole class schedule. And then not long after that, spring ball starts where you're still practicing three to four times a week throughout the spring. And in the summertime, when I was playing, we didn't get paid in the summertime. You were, had to be there because that's what a teammate does and you have to get ready for the season. So you're there all summer. I had a full-time job working at a factory in the summer that, again, we're in the morning, we're doing running. I'm going nine to six at a full-time job at a factory and then in the evening I'm there for an evening practice all on my own dime I'm paying rent I am working around the clock I'm barely eating and that happened for five straight years with no break in the cycle if even if you're a professional the amount of hours you are putting in there's not a job in America that will let somebody work somebody the amount of hours that you have in college football because there's labor laws against it Right. So you may think, oh, you're just at practice for this amount of time or you're just at meetings or you're just at training table. You're just at study table. You're just at class like that's literally 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. at night every single day. And that's not including how you travel on the weekends to go to games. So, again, all I'm saying is there's a lot of work that goes into it and it is not apples to apples in any comparison of college students. Because, again, I once I got to the league, I couldn't believe how much it was the easiest thing that I had ever done in my life. Cause I'm like, yo, I don't even have to go to class. I have money to eat. Like I don't have to report anywhere. We're done. Like we are done. I couldn't believe it, man. So I'm off so my I, soapbox. I think, clearly. I, I think most people will agree that when you're a college athlete, you are a full-time college athlete and you do school on the side. School is yes. eight to noon. And then, like you mentioned, the rest of the day, you have about 10 to 12 hours of required football or athletic stuff. So from a time standpoint, you're clearly doing way, way, way more athletic stuff. So the whole idea of being a full-time student with athlete on the side is BS. Yeah. But I think this argument of should we pay or should we not pay athletes is framed incorrectly. It should be framed from an economic pragmatic scenario because Like I said earlier, college athletes are being paid. We've agreed by signing the scholarship, which is a contract, that we're understanding they're going to give us free school, room, board, and uh, a little bit of extra money for snacks in order to play whatever sport it is. (laughs) So we've already decided that we're going to pay athletes. So we've already crossed that bridge. It's over. And we've decided that since we don't want to negotiate individual contracts with everybody, we'll just give everybody the same amount of 
contract, which is a scholarship. And mm-hmm. for the most part, I think everybody's okay with. But what we're not okay with is that the NCAA has enacted this other layer on top of that and said, now that you are owned by the university, you do not own your own likeness, your own image, your own signature, your own time, and your own affiliation with your celebrity status as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's wrong. And that's not a matter of, are we paying them? It's, are we yeah. paying them what's fair? And I'm not saying that universities should pay them any more than they already are, because right now these athletes are making hundreds of millions of dollars for their university. Basketball and football is making all the money for the most part in almost every school. And it's supplementing all these other sports, which is okay. I think Mm -hmm. for the most part, people understand that's probably a fair trade right now. But the whole idea of not being able to get a fair pay for what you're doing for your university as far as owning your signature, owning your memorabilia sales, owning your jersey sales, it's just wrong. It's an easy change. And actually, people are so worried about, oh, well, whoever has the richest boosters is going to be able to give all these huge signing bonuses to these players. No, you're actually thinking about it very incorrectly because right now, money is already in recruiting. Look at the schools that recruit the best. Yep. They have the most rich boosters that mm-hmm. can buy the most expensive, best coaches and the best facilities. Yep. So right now, the money in, in college athletics is going to the coaches and it's going to the facilities. Mm-hmm. So right now, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, those are the universities that get all the best recruits because they have the most money. So right now, I think Colin Cowherty is very, very accurate when he says that college football has become very regional. It's not balanced anymore because there's so much money in recruiting at these certain schools that they can afford the best facilities and coaches and other things like I just mentioned. And so all the best recruits go there. But if you allow a recruit to be able to make money on his autograph, on his jersey sales, on whatever marketing and endorsements he has, If I'm a four-star recruit and I'm a quarterback, instead of being one of five four-star recruits going to Alabama, hoping to maybe get the spot over Tua or whoever Mm -hmm. and win the job, I'm going to say, no, wait a minute. I'm going to go to Toledo. I'm going to go to Toledo or I'm going to go to Oregon State or I'm going to go to one of these other places. I'll be the biggest fish (laughs) in the pond. All of a sudden, there's more parity because the recruits are more evenly spread out because it's easy for a Washington State booster to say, well, let's pool together a million dollars and pay this guy to sign autographs here. Whereas Alabama can't pay 85 guys a million dollars each to show up. So you're going to get a lot more even distribution of quality talent throughout the league. Mm -hmm. And additionally, with the current portal strategy that is going on in NCAA, if a player is at Alabama, let's say, and he's clearly going to be the backup for maybe the rest of his career. He can transfer out to somewhere else like a Mac school or a Pac-12 school or a Big 12, a Big 10 school yeah. and all of a sudden become the starter. And all of a sudden he becomes the guy that's selling jerseys, that's signing autographs, that's getting endorsements at his university. And now he's helping his team become better. And there's much more parity rather than having all the talent in the richest schools, which is where it is right now. Right. So I think we need a whole episode to devote to this and i think we will we're going to solve the college football pay structure problem on the tomahawk show so you can look forward to that hawk let's talk about bevel you use their shave system right i do because it's the first and only end-to-end shaving system designed for consistently smooth and irritation-free shaving this dermatologist recommended it prevents razor bumps and irritation. I use it all the time, Joe. Can you guess what percentage of subjects noticed that their skin felt softer and smoother after using it? Um, 73.16%, Alec. And 100%. Oh, way off. Which is the same percentage of satisfied listeners we have here on the Tomahawk Show. You know what interests me about the bevel trimmer, Hawk? Much like us, it is also a GQ award winner. Very true. It's also wireless and has four times the battery life of its competitors. Also, you got to check the Bevel Skin lineup. They got face wash, exfoliating toner, moisturizing face gel, and spot corrector. Everything you need and nothing you don't. Sounds like it's a great look. To level up with the Bevel Shave System, the Bevel Trimmer, or Bevel Skin, head to getbevel.com slash tomahawk. One question before we call Des Bryant. Um, Joe, how much... Did the boosters pay you to go to Wisconsin? Huh. I okay, we'll come. We'll, we'll come I back was, to that. We'll come back. Don't not answer. Not a highly recruited. Boot, We're gonna, uh, recruit. Let's just call Des right now, and then I'll circle back to get that answer from you. Hello. 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 You've reached the Tomahawk. 
All right, joining the show, we got the legendary former Dallas Cowboy receiver, Mr. Throw Up the X. Dez Bryant has joined the Tomahawk Show. Dez, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, man? Thanks for being on with us. Hey, no problem at all. Shit, because if I'm going to be on with anybody, I'm going to be on with you guys. I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. What about you? What about you two guys? You know what? We're doing good, man. We just got out of a, a heated debate about SB two hundred six, where players uh, can own, get paid off their likeness, right? Like, what what is your take on that? Where, what is you, where are you stand on it? It's just simple, you know. Players who get paid, you know, off their likeness. You know, I, I don't think there's a question. You know, um, you know, we put our we put our bodies out there, so you know, why not? So that's what I always say. Like, you know, we heard the Tim Tebow take on ESPN, and I love Tim. He's a good dude. But I feel like he was way off base because, again, I remember playing in college, and I had a lot of players that we would get our scholarship checks, and there were a lot of guys who were sending money home to their parents. Like, it wasn't a situation where we can just live freely and it's all good and, you know, it wasn't a lot of money, but we could – no, it was like these were the breadwinners – of their household, so I just feel like it was a little it was it was a little short sighted in the, in the whole debate, man. I feel like we got to figure out this this equation sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, no disrespect, to Tebow. You know, I love Tebow. I really do love Tebow. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think you know, um, he spoke you know one sided. It was just one dimensional. You know, it's like you said. Um, you got guys, you know, like myself, and a lot a lot of others that's the breadwinner of the home. Yep. So. I know, like I know, for me, you know, um, every little opportunity or every little piece of change that I had got, you know, if a family member needed something, I would send it, and it was either or. I might have needed it; they'll be scraping up some money sending me. Yep. You know, um, but yeah, um, yeah, players should get paid. I just, you know, like I said, Tipo, he was just one-sided, man. No disrespect to him at all. Yeah. We just had a conversation between me and Hawk, and he said he worked in a factory in the summers when he was in college at Toledo. Did you have any experience working when you were in college at Oklahoma State? I had none whatsoever. You know, um, <laughs> like I said, um, I had, um, yeah, zero. You know, um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to never have had a job. You know, but like I said, I did have, I did, I did have family members. You know, and, you know, friends of the family, you know, who did the wrong things, you know, but, you know, they were sending me money. So, right. and when I said, you know. No, we get it. Yeah, we, we get, get it. We, can, we can read between the lines there. We can read in between the lines. All right, so we're going to get off the college uh, subject for a little bit. Let's go over to the NFL. Your boy Dak is trying to get lined up for a big contract, man. Like, uh, Tell me a little bit about, I mean, you've negotiated with Jerry before. Do you think Dak should get paid? And and, and how quickly do you think the Cowboys are going to open up that checkbook for him? Man, I tell you this, man. Uh, I think Dak should get paid. I think there's, I think there's no question. Just got to look at everything he's done. Like, just me being in that locker room with him, you know, coming in, you know, he is an outstanding leader. I think that's just something – that that was born inside of me. You know, I'm not just doing this talkity talk talk stuff. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that. And the way that, you know, the way that he correlates with the guys, I think that means way more than a pass on a football field. Right. You know, you know, some quarterbacks have it and some quarterbacks don't have it. And he has it. Yeah. He's going out here doing way better than people giving him. And, you know, just shutting up everybody each and every week. You know, I think he's putting the Cowboys in a tough situation. You know, why not go ahead and pay him now? Because if they wait to the end of the year, I think, you know, they'll find themselves in a in a deep hole of trouble, you know, um, signing Dak. Trying to sign Dak to a reasonable contract. Right. I, you know, I don't – it won't be nothing friendly, i tell you that. Jerry Jones recently got in a little bit of hot water talking about how he negotiates directly with players and – the negotiations with Zeke actually got a little bit contentious before he got him into camp. You you signed a $70 million contract in 2015 with the Cowboys. What was your experience negotiating with the Cowboys and with Jerry Jones directly? Man, I'm going to be honest. Uh, it was, I had no clue, you know, what was going on. You know, and I went with that good. And I think that was the first time ever in my whole entire life, you know, 
telling Jerry, no, I can't do something. Like, no, nah, I can't sign that contract because I felt it in my gut that it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my cue to fire everybody around me because I felt like I was doing a job I shouldn't have been doing. Mm. You know, RIP to, you know, Eugene Parker. You know, I love him. I love him to death. I do. You know, because I felt like, you know, that's why I got my first opportunity was, you know, was with him. But as I grew, you know, I found myself in a situation that, you know, I was doing the majority of the talking. And, you know, situations didn't seem right to me between my agent and Mr. Jones to the point to where I thought, man, they kind of potentially kind of working together. I, I didn't like that. I was already bothered that he made me plot my whole entire contract. <laughs> so that's another story, but well, yeah, that- you know, but um, yeah, I just felt like, you know, um, why not switch it up? And I did that, and it worked out for me. Well, luckily, we are the podcast for player stories, and it's funny because you talked about that, and, and me and you spent some time recently, um, and it's been on the on Twitter, and you talked about it on Twitter about uh negotiate with Jerry Jones. Can you tell that story about like what your lie was? Because it really was, I mean, this is top notch. So I, I'm like, yo, if you can for our listeners, tell them the story oh, yeah. about Jerry Jones negotiating with you. Yeah. You know, um, me and Jerry was at one of those top suites at the stadium, uh-huh. um, the far, far left of the end zone. And, um, you know, I remember, um, you know, Mr. Jones negotiating with me. I'm going to be honest, you know, half of the stuff that he was telling me, it did not make any sense to me, you know, because that's, that's not what I do. Like, what are you Some talking that about? What you were speaking, I was like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then um, out of nowhere, it, you know, I just asked him a question. I was like, hey, um, you see that field down there? Mr. Jones, do you think you can cover me? you think you can cover me, you know, on that field? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was like, no, nah, Des, uh, you know, you will kill me. <laughs> then I was like, well, what makes you think that I can sit here and negotiate a contract with me? <laughs> I mean, with you. You know, because, you know, you'll, you'll kill me. <laughs> Mic drop. What did he say to that? He didn't say anything to it. You know, you know what can you say? You know, and yep. um, the conversation had wrapped up shortly. Well, you know, um, no, nah, I ain't going to get it. I'm not going to get into that. Just the conversation, <laughs> you know, it's, sh- it's shortened up, you know, right after that and, you know, I remember telling him when I walked out, um, it was my last year. I was planning on my last year of my deal. And I was like, you know, um, I know it was a potential chance of getting out. I was talking to my mom and, and my brothers, and they knew it was a chance of me getting injured or something. And I was like, I'll just take my chances, mm. you know, because I wasn't going to accept no, you know, BS contract. Right. You know, especially when, you know, nobody is scoring touchdowns the way I was scoring touchdowns around that time. Whew. You know, and mm. I just wanted, you know, I, I want what I, I wanted, you know, what I thought I deserved. Yeah. Yeah, I think as players, we all just want what's fair. Now, I work with Michael Irvin on Thursday Night Football, and I've become close and have a good relationship with him. Um, And it seems like he tells me that Jerry Jones has almost like a fatherly relationship with a ton of former Cowboys. Uh, And I was just curious what your relationship's like with Jerry Jones um, since you've split from the Cowboys. Well, since I I split with the Cowboys, uh, he reached out to me when I told my Achilles, you know, that was about it. Um, I'll see him after some um, events going on at the stadium. We'll have a nice conversation. You know, um, everything that happened outside, I mean, you know, after me being cut from the Cowboys, I, I don't think anything was really too personal between me and him. I don't think anything's ever been personal between me and him, you know. And um, I used to take a lot of things personal, you know, in, um, at the beginning of my career because I used to, I didn't like, you know, how things are set up around me too, by the way. Um, I just didn't like it. You know, I was too busy trying to convince Mr. Jones, Hey, I'm not this guy, you know, I'm not this guy, you know, you know, people trying to make me out to be or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but yeah, um, the relationship, me and, you know, Mr. Jones, I know for me, outside of, since I've been hurt, I, I feel like it's been, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's not, no, I don't think it's bad blood. Right. I would say that. All right. Well, look, I, I mean, you talked about signing with the Saints. I remember last year 
on Hard Knocks and the Browns were courting you, trying to get you to, to, to join the dog pound, man. Oh, man, I was pounding on the table like, yo, Dez, you need to come to Cleveland. Like, yo, come on, we need you. Mm-hmm. What what was that process like? And were you really considering signing with the Browns? i tell you this, man. If, if, if I was right mentally, yes, mm. I probably would have. I would have signed with the Baltimore Ravens, you know, mm. because uh, that was the first team who – you know, spoke to me about anything, you know, as soon as, you know, I had got released. Yeah. The Ravens was the first team to come along. But I wasn't in, I wasn't in the right state of mind to even be trying to play football. Right. Oh, okay. You know, um, I didn't like how, I didn't like how my relationship ended, you know, with the Dallas Cowboys. I felt like a lot of things went on in that organization that wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was a lot of political stuff that was going on. And, um, you know, I'm the type of guy that, you know, voiced my opinion. Mm. But but I do all of the research before I voice my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it was just too strong. I think that was, you know, and and it, and it might have rubbed some of the guys the wrong way. But, you know, if, you, if they did their research, they would see that, you know, it does make sense. You know, but it, it was just one of those things, my opinion versus theirs, and it was this vote count. Should we have them here or should we not have them here? And I was voted out that I shouldn't be there, and, you know, it kind of bothered me because I actually felt like, you know, I really stood for those guys. I really cared for those guys. I really cared for those, especially the rookie guys that, you know, that came in, you know. A lot yeah. of guys into the hazing. I was never into that, you know. I would like guys to come in. I would like a rookie to come in and damn near feel like, you know, a vet. Have the mindset of, hey, get ready to play. Yeah. You know, like, we need you. It was almost that next man, you know. Every you know every guy's preparing to be, you know, a starting mentality. And I felt like I had done a great job with helping, helping, helping guys on, on the field and off of the field. Mm. And it was real genuine things. And I think that, that would be – the most just you know disturbing part for me not being there mm-hmm. because I took that I took that serious yeah more than I feel like any guy in, in inside of that locker room mm. so but 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 yeah but but that's another story but yeah no I mean it it, it, it plays right into what we're we're, we're kind of talking about and I think what fans don't really get a glimpse into is that this isn't just a lot of times, especially for young guys coming to an organization, it's not just, hey, I'm here to do a job and if I go somewhere else, it's all good. Like the biggest uh, like aha moment for me was I remember when I left the Bengals where I started my career. I grew up a Bengals fan and I rocked 16 at the Bengals. And mm-hmm. then, you know, when they didn't offer me a contract, I was pissed off. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm like, yo, I, I love this organization. I've rooted this organization my entire life. I put it on the line for this organization. And at the time, in its business, you're not thinking about it that way. So I ended up signing with the Browns. But watching an, another guy that next year rock my number, I feel like a lot of guys look back and they're like, yeah, that's like a moment where you realize like, oh, man, like it really is on to the next. And, and it's just different. Like right. you, you can't put that much into the game and, and not have some personal feeling towards it. And a lot of time for the organization, that's not the case. Right. You're right, and, and nine times out of ten, it is really not the case. Yeah, you know, um, and not trying to get into, and not trying to get into, you know, extreme depth. Um, but um, you know, I feel like this is a pick and choose league. If you ask me, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and um, you see a lot of that go on in this league, you know, and and, and if that makes sense, I, I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. Yeah, you know, but but like I said, um, like. I, I I am biased of players, period. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know one of the things that you know I wish us players would learn to do and realize is it's a business, mm-hmm. just the way the NFL sees it. Yep, and it's it's nothing towards the NFL. It's just something that us players need to do, not just in the NFL, the NBA, all sports. Period. Wake up. That start really you know, communicating with one another. Mm. Let's really, you know, start building things and creating cool stuff for one another. Mm. Let's start friendly competing instead of, uh, look what Hog doing over there. You know, I don't really like that. You know, but but instead of supporting Hog, 
and making sure Hall got the best thing going and then vice versa. Mm. I think we should start focusing on that a tad bit more. It's going to be 2020. Like, we, 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 need to, we need to change the, the narrative of how we go about our lives. You know, it's real. You know, it, it, I think about the things that we don't think about. Like, I'm really not caught up into this life. Like, we need to think about those three to five years that, hey, that's really real if you go look at that stat line. You know, guys really do go broke. Let's pay attention to the things that we really do know how to do or what we like to do instead of, I'm not calling anybody out, I'm just speaking in general. Right. Instead of going inside of a club, blowing thirty to fifty thousand dollars, you know, in a strip club or on some bottles or whatever the case might be, and really not getting nothing back for your buck. Yep. Like, you know, why not make an investment? Why not make an investment within yourself? Mm. That, you know, I just you know, I, I think about that all the time. In in my tenth season, I had a little bit of a mental breakdown in the middle of the season. Um, dealing with the losing that had just really piled up and kind of like my own sense of purpose in the NFL. And I had a chance to talk with the Brown psychologists and I really felt like they helped me kind of put everything in perspective and uh, allowed me to play for another full season in the NFL. But recently you've opened up a little bit about your own mental health and kind of written a little bit on Twitter about mm-hmm. Antonio Brown and the situation that he's going through right now. And I'm just curious if you've had an opportunity to reach out directly to AB or if you've had any conversations with him uh, regarding mental health or any of the things that you've been tweeting about recently. Well, you know, I haven't had any uh, actual contact with AB, but, you know, I see, you know, what I realized is, you know, it's one of those things. You know, I see, I see people attacking and reach out. And I'm not saying Antonio, Antonio Brown, right or wrong, mm-hmm. right or wrong. I just want to support him, just because of the fact of we don't do that enough. I, I we don't know if he did this or not. Yeah, we don't know what he did. We don't like like we we all we we all. Us athletes in this world, we all experience like, like man, everybody is on me. Everybody's attacking me. You know, like I, I'm getting drilled from every angle. And then you go, you, you you go put yourself in this hole, and you don't want to talk to nobody really. And and you get to defending yourself, you know, with with really no good support system. Mm-hmm. Like I just felt like it was in my heart to, to reach out to Antonio Brown and I wanted to do it pub- publicly. You know, I reached out to him in DM and I reached out to him publicly just so he know that, Hey man, like up or down, it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to support you. And I want you to know that, you know, if he is wrong, I'm still going to pray for you. And the extending hand going to still be there. Vice versa. I'm not going to be just that guy whenever Antonio Brown scoring touchdowns, you know, calling God every time he put it, you know, put the ball in the end zone, you know, you know, raving about him. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I just feel like it, that's kind of, you know, that's faking, but, but that's what this society is. Yeah. You know, I just want to, I want to be a real example of showing love, you know, like, Hey man, I'm really showing love. I respect you way more than that guy with the ball in your hand. Mm. And that's not even just with him. That's with a lot of these guys in the NFL and in the NBA. I just think we really need to start sticking together. We need to start building things together. Mm. You know, you know, outside, you know, outside of our sport. Yeah, fans sometimes have a hard time understanding that the people that they see on the field with the football helmets on or the jerseys on are actually people also. They just see the big contracts. They see the touchdowns. They see the celebrity status. Um, And I think sometimes they don't fully understand the pressure and and the mental side of things that a lot of guys deal with. And it's, it's almost in the past been shameful a little bit if you open up about your own feelings and your own mental health. And I think um, there's been a lot of guys recently, Kevin Love, namely in the NBA, um, that have talked about kind of the struggles that they go through uh, on a daily basis, a lot of times dealing with the criticism that you get playing such a, a sport that is 
so visible out there in front of people. Um, but I'm curious, like, it seems like you would have a great perspective on this type of stuff. Have you given any thought or discussed with like the NFLPA or anybody like that to be in a liaison or a resource for players who feel like maybe they're isolated and they, they've got nobody else that understands what they're going through and maybe help use your situation and where you came from and where you are now to kind of guide their careers and help make them a better person. Well, I'll tell you this. One thing that I do, I know um, I have not talked to nobody from the NFLPA, mm-hmm. you know, um, about this stuff. But but what I will, you know, but what I do is I, I'm, I research a lot of things. And whatever makes sense to me, I take it in, you know. Whatever I feel like, I think, I mean, whatever I see and that's what I feel like, you know, that's what it is. You know, that's where I get a lot of my information. And I know for me, like, I had a, a, a ton of mental clutter, nights I couldn't sleep, mm. you know, you know, just because of criticism and all of that crazy stuff. But I got to a point in my life to, to where it's like, you know, it is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. what do I do from here? Like, do I continue to keep dwelling on something that I can't change or focus on the things that I can't change, you know? What about creating something that you know that you can get love back? Like, those are the things that I know help me get past a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. Because, you know, I, I, I'm a high-spirit guy. You know, I, 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 love to, to, I love to laugh. I love to, you know, you know, have fun. Like, I just love all of that stuff. And I've seen myself losing it. Yeah. Like, losing it over things that I just could not control. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's... It's plenty of stuff out here that, you know, that can put a great, you know, put your life in a great perspective. I mean, mm. well, put your life back on the right track. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, you're, dude, you're so right about that. And, and I like to listen a lot, so. Yeah. Over at Uninterrupted, man, they did a project called The Glass Helmet, right? And and, and there was a lot of conversation about mm-hmm. it when it dropped because, you know, uh, LeBron was the one who put it out or whatever. But it's that same effect and, and like the philosophy behind it and and I'll, I will for them I'm like yo we got to make sure this doesn't get lost because it's exactly what you're talking about it's for us players you know and I know people see us as warriors people see us as jersey numbers like Joe talked about people see us in the helmet like we also see ourselves that same way you know what I'm saying like for me when I think about myself mm-hmm. I picture myself in a football helmet you know so this is like I always mm-hmm. view myself as a player. So when, like you talked about, when you start getting to the end or when Joe was like, yo, here I am 10 years in and all I'm doing is losing and all I'm doing is reading articles about how bad I am or here you are where you're like, yo, I've given everything to the Dallas Cowboys and they're ready to cut me off like it's nothing or Andrew Luck is like, yo, I'm getting all these injuries. At some point, I have to make the decision that I still have a, the majority of my life left, but as a player, you don't see yourself beyond that. So like, I talked about the glass helmet thing because it, it, the symbolism is like we have to see ourselves as more than that. Otherwise, you get into these these mentally tough states of mind that for a lot of players, they don't get out of. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and, yep. and, and kudos to you for being candid about that, being transparent, because I don't think enough players kind of lay it out like that. And, and I was blown away. I'm not going to lie to you, Des. When we sat and met you know, a month or a couple weeks ago, I was like blown away because we hadn't had the opportunity to talk at that length. And like you have a a narrative of what somebody is based on what you hear in the media, what you hear on social media, whatever that is. And it couldn't be further from the truth. And even Mm -hmm. this interview is like it's a it's a direct example of that. So turning this to a positive note, like where are you at now? Like what's next for Des Bryant? Man, what's next for me? Everything that I do is for the people. Everything that I do is for the athletes, you Mm -hmm. know, so. You know, as we spoke, I won't jump too too far into it. Yep. But I will say this, you know, um, I'm partnering. I'll say that. Mm. And I'll leave that partner out for right now. Um, a platform for players by players. Mm. You know, and, and, and basically I'm creating this, you know, it, it, it's this tool to teach players entrepreneurship. Yeah. And, um... Just trying to trying to show them this different types of ways how they can make money off their likeness. Yeah. I honestly believe um, 
I'm I'm one of few guys. I'm I'm one of few guys in the NFL that made good money just based off of their likeness, just film building something on their own. And I feel like it's, a, it's it's every guy in the NFL can do the same, no matter how big or small you are. When you became a professional in the NFL, whether you like it or not, you're a brand, and the NFL making money off of you. The reason why these endorsement companies invest in, you know, this money into you is because they can see that return. Right. So it's just basically I'm trying to get these guys to take five minutes out of their lives, you know, to understand that they can do the same thing too. Yeah. You know, they, they you know, it's a reason why you got hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, you know, um, millions of followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And as you see, it's a lot of guys not knowing how to u- utilize that correctly. So basically all I did was, I say this, I built a cool structure, you know, for that. I helped build, a, I'm helping build a cool structure for guys to utilize their likeness, you know, the correct way. I love it. And I didn't get too much in detail. Nope. I think I, you know. And we and we had a little conversation about it. And, and, and the, the best part about it is you talk about players for players, but really the fans are the real winners in your idea that, again, I won't give any detail to. Um, and we'll let you do that on your own time. But yeah, I, it's, it's a big win, not just for players, mostly the fans and the people who, who love sports. Dez, before we get you out of here, man, and we've been kind of pretty, we got to a pretty serious note here on the Tomahawk Show, which doesn't typically happen. Um, we got to get you back here. Are M&M's a candy bar? Do you consider M&M's a candy bar? Because that's a question. Hard hitting stuff right at the end. Yeah, Good we got to make sure we get your take on this. Hold on. <laughs> Thank man, you. Man, that is not a candy bar. What? <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh, you. Man. I, <laughs> the Dez Bryant stock market was riding high with me until that. No, no. Candy bar is a category. No, no. I, oh, come on, man. It's a, a category bar. of bars. Yeah. Not but, s- I'm just small saying. snack pieces. Is, is Reese Cups a candy bar? Now that's close because at least you could look at a cup and say that almost is a bar, but it's still no, not a bar. No. Candy bar. Reese Cups can't be a candy bar and M&M's can't. That's, that's discrimination. I agree. They're, neither of them are candy oh, bars, whatever, but at least man. you're getting closer. Yeah. Like a Kit Kat bar. Yeah, neither, uh, yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> All right, man. Whatever, man. Well, we'll 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 leave it to that. I I really don't have a lot of supporters in this argument, but Daz, man, we appreciate you (laughs) joining us here on the Tama Flog, man. One of the best interviews, if not the best interview we've ever done here, man. We look forward to your success going forward, and and you welcome to come back and join us anytime, man. Appreciate you being on. And thanks. And and hog. Last thing, Joe. Last thing. I will be back. Mm. You know, because Mm. when we do go live with you. When we do go live with these projects, you guys will get the exclusive. Uh, Y'all will get the exclusive. Love it. You heard it here first, baby. The Dez Bryant <laughs> exclusive. Coming, man. coming to the Tom Hawk show first. All right, my guy, man. We holding you to that, brother. Cool, cool. Man, thank y'all for having me. Man, shout out to Des Bryant, man. That, that got a lot deeper than I thought it would, Joe. I'm, I'm, I'm riding high right now on the Tomahawk show. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I definitely didn't expect it to go like deep and emotional. Yeah. And I kind of liked it. Yeah. I, I kind of liked it, Hawk. I'm going to be honest. That I was, really enjoyed that. That's like the locker room conversation. We don't get yeah. enough. And I know we're here. We talk football a lot. But that was like, that was a locker room conversation. Like no, no bullshit to the listeners. If you ever wonder what it's like in a locker room, the conversation that Dez was talking about, like those are the kind of conversations that spark up in between meetings and practice. And yeah, I'm, this dude, that dude can come on this show anytime, man. That was me pulling up Hawk's seat with my naked ass and sitting yeah. right down, like, all, all stink ass, right on his chair and like, having about a 20 minute heart to heart right there. Let's talk, uh, It was man. beautiful, man. It's time to talk. And I'm like, Joe, right now? Like, yeah, man, right now. Let's have a, let's have a good they conversation. Can't they can't I mean, even wait for me to get close. I need some good convo. I'm dripping wet from the shower, man. But let's talk about some life, man. All right. So before we wrap here, man, we got to congratulate our winner of the giveaway we did a couple weeks ago, uh, NBA 2K. It was last week, actually. The days run together. So Adam Williamson. You are the winner of our first giveaway of the season. Adam, he won a copy of NBA 2K Legendary Edition. We'll be reaching out to you, Adam, if you're listening on social media for your information so we can send you your prize. If you didn't win, don't worry. 
We have a ton more of prizes and giveaways throughout the season. Be sure you follow us on Twitter at so at Tomahawk Show, not at social media, at Tomahawk Show, and join the official Tomahawk Facebook group for more information on more giveaways. You don't want to miss out. Also, if you want to know why Adam won, you'll want to stick around after the show for an interpretive reading of Adam's five-star review by the acclaimed voice-slash-theater Emmy Oscar-winning Tony actor Sir Andrew Hawk Livier. He is very cultured, and he will uh, give an interpretive reading of that. So I think that does it for the Tomahawk show. Yeah, he's a Frenchman. Um, Absolutely. He loves French fries. All right, so that does it for the Tomahawk (laughs) show. Joe, what are your final thoughts, my friend? Final thoughts are I need to go back and reprogram my brain on how I think about Des Bryant because Mm. he just took my thoughts and – put him on an entirely new level and Look at the that. empathy that that man has shown uh antonio brown and other players throughout the nfl and professional sports makes me extremely excited to see what the next act in des bryant's career is going to look like because i'm not sure what it is he didn't drop that many hints but whatever it is <laughs> i gotta think it's going to be wildly successful all right there you have it man join us on sunday after the browns ravens game uh for more recap of the week four season Uh, And I think that does it. So, Joe, you're canceled right now. We're going to have our friend Dez take us out today. Don't forget the Joe Hawkins show. To simply read keystrokes of the Tomaflock faithful cannot simply do justice to the 10th degree black belt holders of magnificence, Joe Thomas and Andrew Hawkins simply isn't enough to read about the tremors of psychitude that will saturate every cell of your body. No, one must experience firsthand, quite literally, the greatest podcast in history. The synergistic give and take is as smooth as Nana's hip replacement and cool as the other side of the pillow. And the hot, nay, hawk takes are so far beyond cutting edge they cut right to the DNA of any topic, person, or guest. One would think, however, the seven-layer salad of awesome sauce that these two giants of the entertainment industry, they couldn't possibly be of the people. And that person would be sorely mistaken. Perhaps the most humble co-host in podcast history, Joe Thomas, brings the same Joe the Plumber attitude and work ethic that will make him a first ballot Hall of Famer on the gridiron to the podcast mic. Then you have the greatest whiteout in New England Patriots history, Andrew Hawkins. His aforementioned hawk takes are faster and more mesmerizing than his footwork videos. This 5'7", Mountain Dew guzzling, $1,000 Uber riding, ESPN personality legend. He might even own Disney at this point, so he'll probably save the universe from Thanos in the end of Avengers 5. He fears no one and isn't afraid to say so. The Tomahawk Show will no doubt make your life more enjoyable and in many cases give it new meaning. Run. Don't walk the nearest electronic device and subscribe then you become a fellow tomaflockian or as some people refer to us the tomaflockers hashtag brown superfans remind you to as always in the words of the infamous and missing no face dan joe hawk yourself Mm -hmm.